It is good to be back with you. And if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know that we have kind of kicked off our year with what we're calling our identity series. And in our identity series, we are reminding ourselves of who we are. So Rod, I already quizzed you a little bit. Let's go back and I will quiz you once again. So our mission at Gospel Hope is to make disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. Really, a healthy disciple is to be growing in three relationships. In their relationship with God in the gospel, growing in their relationship with one another as a family, and growing in their engagement with the world while on mission. So today, uh, if you are new to Gospel Hope or you're kind of walking in and you're like, why does it seem that like people are wearing the same colors and sitting together? It is because they are. Because today we're going to be talking about this idea of family. And one of the things that we like to do at Gospel Hope is highlight this with what we're calling Connect Sunday and talk just a little bit today about our community group ministry. So let's see if we have some enthusiastic community groups here today. So do we have anybody, let's go over here, anybody from the Stone Mountain group in the house? Okay, very good. There are the folks in blue there. How about, I, I see some, let's see, oh, here's my group. I am representing my people right over here. The Lithonia group, how many of you are here? Okay, all right, all right. How about South Decatur? I see the Browns over here. Oh, hey, all right, South Decatur. All right, in the green, the North Decatur group. Oh, okay, they even got on their feet. And of course, we've got, we've got gray. Is, that, is Clarkston gray? Are you guys gray? Okay, Clarkston. Okay, all right. There's actually two Clarkston groups, so they're divided, folks. There's, this message is for them. They need some more unity, right? Okay, and of course, we have the Sunday group over here in black. All right, very good. Very good. So, man, it's, it's good. It's good. Derek's very excited. He's the leader of the group. I guess he has to be, right? Okay, good. Well, man, we are excited just to talk a little bit today about what it means to live out the gospel as a family. And I hope, Lord willing, this passage in 1 Peter will be terribly helpful as we look at it and are encouraged to not only love the Lord, but also to love all those who have trusted in the Lord along with us. So can we pray and ask God for his help in the next few minutes? Lord, we need you. And we just pause and express our dependence on you. Lord, would you speak to us through your word? Would you encourage us to be growing in you? Lord, may Gospel Hope Church really be not just like a family, but may it be a family. And Lord, for those of us that are new to us today or have never heard about this before, I pray that you would encourage them to see the reality and the beauty of what the body of Christ is. In his precious name we pray. Amen. 17 years, 5 months, 23 days, and just about 19 hours ago, I married Trisha. On that day, something profound happened. When the ceremony concluded, we entered into a brand new relationship, right? We were no longer boyfriend and girlfriend. We were no longer fiance and other fiance. They really need like a better terminology for that, like also fiance. 
we now became what? Husband and? But you guys are not like very enthusiastic today, husband and wife. Husband and? Okay, well, okay, that's over the top. All right, all right. Let's find a happy medium somewhere in there. Husband and wife. At that moment, a new relationship was fashioned. And with that new relationship, immediately came new responsibilities. When we said, I do, when they pronounced us husband and wife, it was no longer Trisha's parents' responsibility to make sure she was provided for. That fell to who? Me. It was no longer her dad's responsibility to make sure that she was protected. Whose responsibility was that? Mine. New relationships bring new responsibilities. That, that idea is woven into the very fabric of the universe, is it not? When you get a new job, guess what? They expect you to show up. I know, right? Kind of bossy, right? Single gentleman, when you're dating a woman, she expects you to talk to her. Some of you are like, that's brilliant. I never really thought of that before, right? When you take out a loan from the bank, the bank has the audacity to expect that you do what? Pay it back. When you start a brand new relationship, that relationship also calls you into new responsibilities. You get the idea, right? That's just the way the universe works. Unsurprisingly, the Bible highlights this concept as well. Just as in any other relationship, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, they take on the responsibilities of that new relationship. When you become a Christian, when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life, you enter a new relationship, and that relationship has responsibilities that come along with it. You say, well, Ryan, that's obvious, right? I mean, I trusted in Jesus, and when I trust in Jesus, there's certain responsibilities that I have. Like, man, I need to read my Bible, and I need to pray, and I need to maybe attend church, and I need to give generously. And listen to me carefully on this. While all of these things are good and wonderful practices, and if you're a Christian, I hope you do them all. But did you notice something about all of those things that I listed they are all essentially individual practices. That is, these disciplines are about your personal relationship with God. And they're really important. But they're not all they are to the Christian life. Here's how one author, Bruce Milne, puts it. Teaching on Christian holiness has frequently concentrated almost exclusively on the holy man or the holy woman. The ideal of the omnicompetent Christian, able to meet every spiritual challenge and live a life of unbroken victory over sin and the devil, has undoubtedly produced remarkable examples of Christian character. But, as every Christian counselor knows, this emphasis has driven many to a lonely struggle ending in despair and disillusionment. Listen to me very carefully. This is a very profound truth. If you've never heard it before, I hope by the end of the day it will really grip your heart. But listen to this. Private disciplines are indispensable part of following Jesus, but they alone are insufficient. Man, I hope you read your Bible. 
I do. I mean, in fact, if you've been around Gospel Hope for very long, you hear us saying, let's read our Bibles. You hear us saying that constantly. I hope you read your Bible. I hope you have a daily time where you get alone with God in prayer. That is essential. That is important. I hope you give to Gospel Hope Church or another ministry or some other godly non-profit. I hope you give. I hope you come and show up for church services. That is important. But listen to me very carefully. That is not a enough. The Christian life is not just you and Jesus. The Christian life is meant to be lived out with you and Jesus and everyone else who is following Jesus, particularly in the context of a local church. To put it very simply, you've probably heard us say this here before, the Christian life is a team sport. Christianity is a lot more like basketball or football than it is like golf. At the end of the day, on a golf scorecard, who's responsible for that score? You are. It's just you. You play the game by yourself. If you chipped bad, that's your fault. If you drove it a mile, you get the glory. But Christianity isn't like that. Man, you can have an outstanding game in football. You could be a running back and run for 250 yards, but if your team loses the game, who loses? You do. Christian life is a team sport and meant to be done with other believers. Perhaps nowhere is this idea more powerfully illustrated than in the biblical metaphor of family. If you read the New Testament, by far, by far, with no comparison, the word used to describe those who follow Jesus is, is one word. Does anybody know what it is? It's brothers. By far. When you read through the New Testament, the word used to describe the people of God is brothers. You just find it like everywhere. It's brothers this, brothers that, brothers this, and the brothers did this. It's just constant throughout. In other words, the metaphor that God uses to describe the life of his people is that of a family. So then, the idea is simply this. When God becomes your father, his people become your siblings. Now, there's a sweetness to that, isn't that? I mean, there, there is like, man, I am so glad that Travis is my brother. Like, he is actually my brother. Whew, but some of you, I'm just kidding, right? But you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's a sweetness to that reality that we, we actually are made family by the work of Jesus. God becomes my father, and these people become my brothers and sisters, and that is a sweet truth. But there's also some teeth to that, isn't it? And I think what that demands is simply this. It's my point this morning. We must love one another like a family. Man, if God has made us brothers and sisters, then incumbent on that idea is that we must begin to treat one another like brothers and sisters. We need to treat one another as a family. But maybe you're asking yourself, man, Ryan, what does that mean? What does it mean to treat people like a family? And how will this show up in my life? Fortunately for us, the Bible talks a great deal about this. And I think in our passage in 1 Peter, we can learn some super profound things about that. So I want to talk just for the next few minutes this morning about familial love. The love of a family. And I just have two points this morning. The first one is this. The power behind our love. You might hear what I just said and think, yeah, I get it. 
Christians are supposed to love one another. Sure, sure, that's a great idea, but Ryan, come on, man. This is the real world that we're living in here. Are you actually saying, are you actually saying that God expects me to treat these people? Like, I mean, look around the room for a minute. Like, you're saying that God expects me to treat these people like family. They're not my blood. I wasn't raised the same way of them. Man, I don't even look like them. I come from a different background. I come from a different culture. I come from a different neighborhood. I come from a different everything than them. And you want me to treat them like family. Man, it is a tall order. Especially when you consider some of the crazy uncles present in this room, right? But I believe the answer that the scripture gives is an emphatic yes. God calls us to treat one another like family. I mean, the command could not be more clear. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, kind of the middle of the verse. There's the imperative of the passage. It simply says this, love one another constantly. I mean, Peter's not pulling any punches. Love one another constantly. But the Lord in his grace has not given us this command in isolation. Rather, he has bookended this command with two powerful truths. Y'all know what bookends are, right? Bookends are things that you put on the ends of a pile of books to hold up things that would not stand otherwise. Like if you just like stand a book on your desk, what's going to usually happen to it? It's, it's going to fall over, right? But that's why you put these bookends on the end of it to hold, hold up the thing that all by itself would fall over. And here, here's the illustration of this. I would contend to you, if we just try to just love one another because we're good people, that wouldn't work so well. But the Lord in his mercy gives us these two truths that bookend the command to love that help us to say, man, there's some real power behind this call to love. God hasn't just said love one another. He's actually given us reasons that we can love one another. You with me on this? So I want you to perk your ears up if you've ever found it difficult to love a fellow believer, which is all of us, right? I want you to perk your ears up and listen carefully to the motivation behind that love. Book in number one. Listen to this. This is revolutionary. You were saved to love. The very purpose that God saved his people was to love others. Look at verse 22 again. Since you have purified yourself by your obedience to the truth, look at this little phrase, so that you show sincere brotherly love for one another. Most Bible scholars agree that the phrase purified your souls by obedience to the truth is a reference to a person turning from their sins and trusting in Jesus for the very first time. It's justification or conversion. It's a person becoming a believer. And what the Bible is saying then, if I could paraphrase what Peter's words, it's as if Peter is saying, since God has saved you, verse number 22 again, so that you show sincere brotherly love for one another. I mean, that, when I saw that, I was like, holy smokes. Oftentimes when we think about God saving us, the purpose behind God saving us, we think about, well, God saved us so we could go to heaven. 
God saved us so that we could share the gospel with others. God saved us so that we could have fellowship with him. And these things are all wonderfully true. But here Peter is saying that God saved us so that we could love one another. One of the reasons that God plucked you from hell. One of the reasons that God made a dead person alive. One of the reasons that God made you born again is so that you could love these people. That's staggering. So why is love for one another, why is it so important to God that his people would love one another? I think we find a clue over in 1 John chapter 4. Here's what it says. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 12. Follow with me. No one has ever seen God. Keep that in your mind. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Did you get that there? No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's love is perfected in us. Simply put, it's this. The invisible God makes himself visible through the love of his people. The implication is this. People should see a group of diverse people treating each other as family and say, God is real. God is active. God is at work because I have no other human explanation for this. I mean, if, if we had a guest walk down the aisle and come in here and see the way that we treat one another, or if you had somebody show up in your community group gathering, that person ought to in one say, sense say, I don't understand. I mean, clearly, clearly, these people are not family, but they act like family. They love one another like family. And the way that God intends to make himself visible in the world today is in the way that you love one another. This is what is at stake. Listen, brothers and sisters. If we don't love one another, the world does not see God. That's what First John is saying. If we don't love one another, the world will not see God. These are high stakes. Loving one another is not just like a nice thing to have because we want to have a friendly church. Loving one another is the call of the gospel upon all Christians because we want to say the world, God is real. And you want to see him? You can't go to a temple. You can't go look at a statue. There's no painting that accurately represents him. You want to see God come on to the church and watch the way we treat one another. And in the way that we love one another, you will see the invisible God made manifest in the world today. So brothers and sisters, you have been saved for this this. That is a bookend that enables you to love with power. So when a fellow church member makes a tone-deaf comment, when you find your politics are out of step with your brothers, ever happen, by the way? When your sister judges you unfairly, Remember, remember, remember 
God saved you to love these people. Book in number two. Not only is the reality that you were saved to love a bookend that holds up the command to love. The second thing is this. God is your father. Look at verse 22 again. Love one another constantly. Why? Because you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. All those that believe the gospel have been brought to life, First Peter says, by the word of God. And as such... As such, their new spiritual father's DNA is imprinted on them. When you become a Christian, you become a child of God. God is the one who makes you alive again. And as such, his DNA flows through your veins in one sense. So what does that mean? At least in part... It means that God's children, like their father, have the ability to love. Let's go back to 1 John again. So if our father, if in the the DNA of God is love, if we are his children, then therefore somehow in our DNA as well is the ability to love. 1 John chapter 4 verse number 16. God is, what's it say? God is, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Your father is love. Your father is love. Your father is love, and he has passed that ability on to you. How many of you can roll your tongue? You know what I'm talking about? Do it. Come on. Mm-hmm. Raise your hand if you can do it. Okay. Raise your hand if you cannot do it. You know, that is, that is a, a highly hereditary trait. In other words, if you can roll your tongue, it is, it is highly, 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 highly likely that one or both of your parents could. If you cannot roll your tongue, it is highly likely that neither of your parents could. In other words, when I go down the line of my kids and like they can roll their tongue, they got that directly from me because my wife can't do it. What's the point? There are certain things that fathers pass down to their children. It's just in my genes and I passed it on down to them. And I want you to understand this, brothers and sisters. God passed on the ability to love to you. If you have trusted in Jesus, you can love even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. In your blood is the ability to love. You don't have to get bitter. You can forgive. You don't have to fold your arms and walk away from people that don't agree with you in every single way. You don't have to throw in the towel on relationships. You don't have to dot all your I's and cross all your T's exactly the same way in order to really have a solid friendship and relationship with other people. You, my brothers and sisters, you children of God, can love because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, the very word of God. 
Man, God's children can love because their father is love. But God's fatherhood not only gives us the ability to love, it also begins to enable us to love the right kind of things. Now suppose it was bedtime and I'm sitting there maybe snuggling with Felicity, my four-year-old. And, and I'll tell you right now, in all honesty, Felicity's a big fan of me right now. She is. She's a, she's a daddy's girl. So we could be sitting there and I have my arm around her and she could look up at me and she could say, Daddy, I just love you. You are the best daddy in the whole wide world. And I would probably say, oh, Felicity, go on. Tell me more about that. Just <laughs> unpack that for me. Just, let's just stay right there for a little bit. Then let's suppose after that little sweet conversation, Daddy or Felicity turns to me and says, Daddy, I just love you so much. You're so awesome, Daddy. But I hate my brothers and sisters. I mean, every single one of them. I can't stand them at all. Daddy, can you get rid of them, please, because I love you. Now, how would that settle on me? I mean, the first part's really sweet. Like, oh, man, I'm, I'm glad you love me. But Felicity, sweetie, daddy loves your brothers and sisters too. And it's not, it's not okay for you to say, I love you, but I can't stand them. The same is true for us. And some of us are out there, oh, Jesus, whoo, I love me some Jesus. I just don't like the church very much. Oh, I have a relationship with God. I read his word. I pray. I sing songs to him. But those people, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Do you think that makes our father happy? No, it breaks his heart. Because God the father says, those are my people. Those are my children. And you cannot, you cannot, you cannot claim to have a love for me and hate the things that I hold most dear. First John, again, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brothers and sisters, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Listen to this statement. Love for the father is demonstrated by love for his children. One of the primary ways that you show love for God is by loving these people right here. You want to say to God, God, I love you. You know what he says? Love my children. Love the ones who I purchased with my blood. Pour out your life for them. And that is a demonstration of your love for me. When you believe that you were saved to love and that God is your father's, it enables you to love the brothers even when it's difficult. So say, okay, Ryan, I'm with you so far. I get the power behind our love, but what does this love work with? How, how does it work itself out in our life? So I want to say number two here, the character of our love. Clearly God calls and enables us to love our spiritual family, but how does that flesh itself out? Look at verse 22 again. Since you have purified yourself by obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere what kind of love? Sincere what? brotherly love for one another. According to the Bible, we are to love one another like brothers. We are to love one another with a brotherly love. 
we are to feel the same kind of affection towards our fellow believers that we do for our blood brothers and sisters. Or, as, as we've said it time and time again, the church is not like a family what? It is a family. These people are not like your brothers and sisters. They are your brothers and sisters. Through the work of Jesus, these people have been made family to you. So what does that mean? I think at least in part, I was wrestling with this. Like I was thinking, what does it mean to love like a brother? I think at least in part, it means that we feel a sense of responsibility and commitment to those who have trusted in Jesus. Right? Isn't that what it means to, to brothers? Because you have the idea of sibling rivaling, fight, fights like brothers and sisters. You know, you, you get that idea. It doesn't mean that everything always goes perfectly. But at the end of the day, no matter what happens between my brothers and my sisters, they are still always my brothers and sisters. I feel a sense of commitment to them, a sense of responsibility for them. No matter what happens, I'm not like, you're no longer my brother. You're no longer my sister. No, I am committed to you, and I feel responsibility to you. So what does that look like? Maybe we open up our homes to one another. We share our lives with each other. We hold one another accountable. We care for one another when someone is hurting. We celebrate with one another when someone is rejoicing. We help one another move. Amen? We go to one another's weddings and funerals. We watch one another's kids. I've got a lot of them. We remember one another's birthdays. It just means like we treat one another like a family. We just get in there and say, hey, mi casa, su casa. Come on, we are being together as a family and inviting one another into our lives. In a sense, every Sunday should be like a family reunion. Some of you just got cold sweats, right? Yeah. We catch up. We get a hug. We share a story. I'm not saying that we don't have that cousin running around here. I'm not saying that. We're not perfect. We got that cousin. But he's our cousin. You understand what I'm saying? He's ours. And yeah, yeah, he's problems sometimes. He, he's edgy. He's difficult to love, but he's family. And we keep him here because we love one another like brothers. If you have trusted in Jesus, you are a brother and a sister. You're not like a brother and sister. You are a brother and sister. My desire is that gospel hope would strive with all that is in us to be what we are. Just be what you are. Through his death on the cross, Christ died to make you family. Be what you are. You don't have to aspire to it. It's already happened. Jesus died so that you would be one with these people. Be what you are. But that's not the only thing that it says in the text. Not only should we love one another with a brotherly love, but we should also love one another with a constant love. Look at verse 22 again. From a pure heart, love one another constantly. Christians are to keep on loving one another. This implies that there will be times when we are tempted to throw in the towels on our brothers and sisters. Why would Peter put this in the passage? Why would God, through his Holy Spirit, said? Hey, love one another like brothers. And by the way, 
love one another constantly. Because Peter knew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that there would be some times when you were interacting with your brothers and sisters and you're like, I'm out. No more. Not dealing with that person anymore. I'm done. So Peter says, no, 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 no. Love one another constantly. This is kind for the Lord to give us this reminder. To say that our country is divided right now would be an understatement. No doubt all of us in this room have to some degree experienced the effect of racial, political, and cultural tensions present in our society. Sadly, this division has found its way into the American church. It grieves me today that the words of Dr. King still hold true. It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And while we rejoice that this is not true of Gospel Hope Church, praise God for that. We cannot simply take the unified diversity that God has blessed us with for granted. Do you understand that? Like this is a gift. This is unique. This is unusual. And it is not something that we can merely take for granted. Listen to this idea. Christian unity must both be prized and protected. Christian unity must both be prized, yes, rejoice at what God has already done and protected. Fight, 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 fight to maintain the unity that Christ has bought with his blood. Don't let grudges fester. Don't let misunderstandings happen and remain undealt with. Don't let relationships start to go downhill. You must constantly love one another. Gospel hope. We must love constantly because love will not always be easy. Brothers and sisters, listen carefully. Will you forgive when these people sin against you? You know the people that aren't supposed to sin against you? Will you forgive even when these people? Not your, not your pagan co-worker, Right? Not the jerk that cuts you off in traffic. Now you need to forgive them too, all right? But you need to especially be willing to forgive these people. When these people do you wrong, will you fight? Will you fight to constantly love one another by forgiving? Okay, here's the other side. Brothers and sisters, will you humble yourselves when you have been insensitive towards others? Well, I didn't mean anything by it. Okay, I didn't say you meant anything by it. Well, that wasn't my intent. Okay, I didn't say anything about your intent. But you did hurt. Or your words did cut. Or you were insensitive or misunderstood because you didn't listen. Will you be humble enough to say, these are my people. And even when I am misunderstood, even when I feel like I've been mistreated, I am willing to humble myself and work things out. Brothers and sisters, will you forgive and will you also be a quick repenter? Will you do both sides of the coin? Brothers and sisters, will you live today Will you love today? And will you love tomorrow? 
And will you love the next day? And will you just keep on loving these people? Because God has called you and enabled you to love because he has said, love one another constantly and I have to keep on loving even when loving gets tough. Man, you hurt me. You hurt me. Are you going to be like the world and just take your ball and go home? Or are you going to say, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. And Rod, that hurt. But I'm not going anywhere. Let's work this out. Let's fight for unity. I'm going to keep on loving you. And I pray that you'll just keep on loving me. That's when the world stands up and takes notice. And they're like, these people don't quit on one another. I'm not saying that nobody can ever leave Gospel Hope Church, or that's that's not what I'm talking about, right? But what I am saying is that, uh, brothers and sisters, we are going to fight for unity. It is a it is a gift to be cherished, to be prized, but it is a virtue. It is a virtue that we must protect and we must pursue. Man, hasn't the last. 20 minutes been sweet, those of you who have been with us for the beginning. I mean, man, it has been so sweet. And God has given us such smooth waters. That's kind of him. But I am not naive enough to think that we will never have any controversy or never have any issues that we as brothers and sisters have to say, these are my brothers, these are my sisters, and we will continue to love one another. Oh, gospel hope. What God has given us is unique and beautiful. Let's fight to keep it. Will you fight with me to keep the unity that Christ has purchased with his blood? Man, uh, it, is, it is a precious thing to be part of the family of God, is it not? Man, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are a member of the family, and that is a sweet and precious commodity. And we're going to do some like super practical things in just a moment. But I want to drive the preciousness of that home just one more way this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask Amani Buckland if she would come on. And Amani's just, she's a member of our church. And I just asked Amani if she would talk a little bit about her experience of being part of the family and what that's meant to her. So I hope that you've heard kind of the biblical idea here, and now you see it from a manny fleshed out, and you hear just her story of what God's done through being the church, not just like a family, but it is a family. Manny. Hey, hi, I'm a manny, like Ryan said. Um, I've been coming to Gospel Hope for about a year and a half, and before that I came here, God just really put a desire in both mine and Bradley's um, heart. Before We weren't married at the time, but we knew we were going to be. That we wanted to be in a church that, um, <laughs> Travis, hi, <laughs> that um, really encouraged community and was in each other's lives. Um, like, I had a great experience growing up in the church, but something that was really missing um, was a lot of just coming and hearing amazing preaching, teaching, and kind of you you have small talk with each other and then you leave. And um so, you know, I really wanted to be challenged um, in my walk with Christ in my relationships with people. And um, the first time that we went to our community group, well, first of all, church at Gospel Hope, um, Bradley and I both just really sensed this is a place that not only teaches the word in its fullness, but also the people love each other and just such a unique diversity that we had never experienced before that was just so attractive. 
And then we went to our North Decatur group. Travis was our leader and he just welcomed us in. And um, it was that Wednesday night after community groups that um, Bradley and I really, we knew that this is probably where God would have us. Um, and since that point, God has really used gospel hope in the sense of community and um, our community group specifically in my life, both in my husband and my life. But um, to speak per, uh, specifically about that, for me, um, I quit my job teaching back in May and kind of went a long period of not having a job. And it was really discouraging. And honestly, um, I just even struggled with some like mild depression and things like that. And um, my community group really embraced me and um, really poured truth into me each Wednesday night. And sometimes I wouldn't even go on Wednesday because I honestly, I think Satan really wants to pull us away from that. But um, when I would go back on Wednesday, it was amazing just how, um, you know, my group leader, Helena or Travis, our whole group leader, or just all the ladies just would really encourage me and pray for me and, and um, text me throughout the week. And um, just my small encouragement to all of you guys is don't be a stranger. Um, this is an amazing group here at Gospel Hope. Get plugged in and um, be open and allow people to pour into you because um, it's just the most amazing thing. Um, God has really used the people and used the sense of family to draw me more to himself and give me just a small glimpse of his great love for me. And um, so anyway, even if you don't know the Lord, even if um, you, know, you, you don't know if you know him personally or you're going through something tough, um, you weren't meant to go at life alone. So we're here for each other, to hold each other up, to bear one another's burdens. And um, just being here this year and a half, it, God has really used you all in this church to change me. So thank you. And I encourage you to um, just be bold and, and love one another um, as so many have loved me. So. Amen. 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 And if you'd still like some more information about our groups, or if you're a group leader and are having a conversation with someone, feel free to continue that in just a moment. And I told you there were two real practical steps. And the first one was, yeah, let's, let's try to get plugged into a group if you're not into a group yet. Uh, the second thing is, I would love to have you join us all for this upcoming study that we're going to be doing. Uh, as I said earlier in the message, um, we live in a very divided times, and unfortunately, it, it has impacted the church. So we felt it was very appropriate here, kind of on the eve of Martin Luther King Day, to, to take some time and just talk a little bit and have some action steps as to how we as a church can continue to pr pursue unity. Uh, there is a fantastic new study that's been put out. It's called Undivided. And I feel kind of a, a special kinship to this study, as should you, because the two people involved in it are J.D. Greer, pastor of the Summit Church, and Dahadi Lewis, pastor of Blueprint Church. Both of those are our sending churches. So these are folks who have made a significant impact and investment in gospel hope. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be having a series of conversations in our groups around how we can be a united church talking about how we can pursue gospel community. So I have a brief trailer here to play for you, just about 90 seconds, and then I'll come back here and close up our time together.
does it look like for us, two churches that are dealing with this tension that we have, this divide that we have in America? This idea of reconciliation and unity that Christ is reconciling all things to himself. Most of us in the majority culture haven't realized how pervasive and deep racism was in the story of the United States. In the gospel community spectrum, we talked about ignorance, to awareness, to intentionality, the gospel community. And ignorance would be that stage where they're unaware that there are issues of race that really need to be talked about and dealt with in order to be able to move the gospel community. I pray that our church may be one, that we would be a tangible expression of the gospel to a world that is divided, and we would show that the church is undivided. We're going to have to see this together and be able to walk forward for the glory of God and for the good of His church. And that's really our prayer, that we would be a church that models the reconciling hope of the gospel. So we'd love to have you join us for these studies. They'll be taking place in the community group. So starting this Wednesday, many of the groups meet. We'll do session one. If you're already on the mailing list, you'll receive a study guide in the mail that you can look over. So we would love to have you join us for that study. Brothers and sisters, man, the church is not like a family. It is a family. Let's live like it. And let's take a moment here as we close out our service to worship the God who purchased us with his blood and made us family. Let's stand together as we sing.